Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Serial Audio presents Pine Lakes, written by Christopher Motts, performed for you by Joe Hempel. Episode 1 Chapter 1 Ted and Susan Merchant were twenty miles from the Pine Lakes Resort when the sky clouded over and rain splattered the road. Ted's restored barracuda cruised up the winding lane, surrounded by tall trees and thick brush on either side. A thin guardrail separated the road from a forty-foot drop to the forest floor. Susan looked out the rain-speckled window into the darkness as she reached into her purse for a cigarette. This stretch of road always made her nervous, now compounded by the sudden gloom and rain that quickly slicked the asphalt surface. She lit her cigarette and blew out a cloud of white smoke, filling the interior of the car. She cracked the window and took another deep drag. Don't worry, babe, Ted said. I know this road like the back of my hand. You say that every year, but it still makes me nervous, Susan replied. Ted placed his hand on his wife's thigh and patted soothingly. They'd been coming to the Pine Lakes Resort once a year since they met, when they were both still in high school. It had been Ted's idea. His family had been vacationing in Pine Lakes for as long as he could remember and when it came time for him to start a family of his own, the tradition continued. Susan fell in love with the place immediately, but the ride up the mountain was a different story. Driving in general scared her to death. She hadn't had a license in years, not since her second year in college, not since the night on Interstate 81 when everything changed. I thought you'd be used to it by now, Ted said. We've driven this road enough times to have it memorized. Susan shrugged. They had a similar conversation every year, but familiarity didn't change the way she felt. She held the cigarette out to her husband, and Ted took a quick drag, waving the cloud of smoke from his field of vision. The cuda had taken the better part of a decade to restore, and smoking in her was generally forbidden, but knowing how Susan got on these trips, he let it slide. We have everything, right? Susan asked. Reservations, clothes, money... Your shampoo? Ted laughed and nodded. I don't know about money or clothing, as long as you packed my breck. It was one of Ted's many foibles. Special shampoo, special brand of socks, a specific type of soft drink. His habits were deep-seated and impossible to change, but he was perfectly happy with the way things were. Change was a four-letter word. My man is a strange one, Susan joked. That's why you love me. Susan leaned over and kissed him on the cheek. Love wasn't a strong enough word. She absolutely adored him with every ounce of her being. When their eyes met, she still felt that little tingle, that butterfly flitting around in her stomach like it was the first time they'd met. 
Twenty years later, that strange magic was still working. They ditched their prom dates, taking a drive to Tuscarora Lake and sharing a flask of whiskey Ted had stolen from his father's liquor cabinet. They just clicked, the kind of relationship seen only in the romantic comedy Susan was so fond of watching. Their divorced friends watched them carefully, wondering what had gone wrong in their own lives. But Ted and Susan only shrugged it off. Some things were meant to be, and some weren't. One of life's simplest lessons. Cabin 105? Susan asked. As always, Ted said. It was another of their traditions. Same cabin every year as if they'd claimed ownership. Every summer, Ted scratched a hash mark in the wood beneath the cabin's bed, along with their initials and a crudely carved heart. So far, no one had noticed their eighteen scratches, soon to be nineteen. It was always the first thing Ted did when they arrived at the cabin. Are you going to try writing this year? Susan asked. I don't know, Ted sighed. No one wants to hear what I have to say. How will you know if you don't try? Ted laughed and patted her thigh again. Maybe one day. Ted worked at the same distribution center for nearly a decade. He didn't love his job by any means, but it paid the bills. He'd flirted with the idea of writing a novel since high school, but he never had the time, the ambition, or the belief in himself that anyone would ever want to read it. Several drafts of the nearly completed manuscript sat on the closet shelf collecting dust for the better part of his adult life. Rain lashed the windshield and dripped in through Susan's open window, splashing her arm. She cranked the window closed and fidgeted with the cuff of her blouse. Damn, she hated this road. She tried to get over it for years, but as soon as she thought her fear was under control, she looked into the forest speeding by and instantly lost her resolve. The forest was creepy at night. She couldn't imagine anyone arguing that point. The Blair Witch Project had really done a number on her. She knew it was just a movie, a work of fiction, but having lived near the woods her entire life, it had suddenly taken on a much more sinister tone. Who knows what kind of baddies lurked in the shadows. It always feels amazing coming up here, Ted said, flicking the cigarette out the window. A week away from work, away from the neighbors. Don't even get me started, Susan laughed. Crazy Annie was on her front porch having a conversation with a stuffed parrot yesterday. Ted laughed loudly and nodded. I heard her scolding her garbage can last week. No, I'm serious. She dragged it up the driveway and cursed at it for poor hygiene. You can't make this stuff up. They both laughed and Susan's nerves quieted. Ted always knew how to make her laugh, even when she didn't want to. He had a knack for bringing her back from the edge. Without him, she'd likely be in a padded cell by now. They chatted back and forth as the sky grew darker and rain threatened to wash out sections of the road. Susan clicked on the radio and bobbed her head along to the newest Imagine Dragons track as Ted poked fun at her for her taste in music. Ted was Black Sabbath, Metallica, and Opeth all the way. New music hurt his ears. Autotune made him cringe, and the sound of sampled drum tracks was enough to send him into a diatribe on the lost art of creativity. Lars Ulrich, Ted yelled. Now he was a drummer. These other guys are still trying to catch up. Lars looks like my Uncle Barry and plays drums about as well. Which is to say, he doesn't. The old stuff, Ted said. You can't hold his age against him. You're only as good as your last drum fill, dear.
Ted laughed and agreed. Times change. You're not kidding, she said. I noticed lines around my eyes last week. We need to change that bathroom mirror before I break it. Your lines are beautiful, Ted chuckled. All of them. He slid his hand over and squeezed her inner thigh playfully. She swatted it away and giggled. Eyes on the road, Romeo. Ted stared ahead dramatically, watching as the rain passed through the twin sets of headlights. Just imagine what we'll look like in twenty years, he said. I'll be pushing sixty, likely bald, with a big beer belly hanging over my belt. And I'll be three hundred pounds with a big old ass to match. You'll still be beautiful, he said. More to love. She slapped his arm and snorted laughter. Her face wrinkled as the radio switched to an old Leonard Skinner song. She reached out to switch the station as Ted grabbed her hand and pulled it away. No, you don't, he said. You never change Skinnerd. I've heard this song a million times, she said. One million and one will be just as good. Classic rock is like a fine wine. It only gets better with age. Ted turned the volume knob and sang along to Simple Man discordantly as Susan laughed and covered her ears. Keep your day job. This one isn't working out. The Cuda turned a sharp corner the rear tires hydroplaning in a river of muddy runoff. Susan grabbed the door handle and pressed her feet tightly to the floor as Ted let off the accelerator, continuing at a slightly slower pace. It's getting bad out here, he said. Bad? Are you trying to kill us? No worries, I know how to drive. Slow down. You know I hate this road. Already done, Susie dear. Relax. We'll be at the lodge in fifteen minutes, and you can drown your sorrows in a bottle of Pinot. We can share a bottle, she said. Or two. Whatever you like. We have a week without worry or responsibility. The Cuda hit another deep puddle and slid across the road, skewing sideways over the center line. Susan moaned, reaching out for the dashboard as Ted spun the wheel wildly. The vehicle swung around, tires squealing on the wet road, Nose pointed at the thick trees on their right. They punched through the guardrail at forty-five miles an hour. The front of the car crumpled as the hood swung up, smashing into the windshield and cracking it in a series of thick lines. Susan lifted from her seat as the car soared into open space and gravity equalized. For just a second, she felt like an astronaut aboard the space station and realized the sensation wasn't a pleasant one. Branches scraped the undercarriage and thumped loudly against the doors as the car rocketed through dark space. She watched as the side mirror shattered and flew off into the night. The engine's low rumble became a shrill scream. Ted shouted unintelligibly and gripped the steering wheel with white knuckles, his mouth an O of surprise. Everything ran in slow motion as the car bounced through the trees in a cacophony of wrenching metal and breaking glass. The weight of the engine pulled the front of the car down, turning it into a speeding missile. The G-force pushed Susan back into her seat and stole the breath from her lungs. She lost consciousness before the Cuda slammed into the forest floor with a final, loud crump. Susan sank deeper and deeper into the murky waters of unconsciousness. Susan opened her eyes and gazed around the shattered interior of the car. It wasn't Ted's barracuda, 
It was her roommate Baron's Toyota Tercel. And it wasn't 2017, but 1999. The steaming Toyota rested crookedly down the embankment along the passing lane of Interstate 81. Susan and Baron were on their way to a spin doctor's concert in Wilkes-Barre when they were forced off the road by a swerving 18-wheeler, pushing them over the grassy stretch between the northbound and southbound lanes. The car slammed into a tree, engaging the airbags and causing Susan to black out at the moment of impact. They'd been planning the trip for months, Baron having purchased tickets the day they went on sale. The band's popularity had waned since the early 90s, but Baron remained one of their most faithful fans, seeing them several times a year on each of their tours. Susan remembered two princes from the radio, but was ignorant of most of the band's recorded output. She'd only agreed to go because Baron wouldn't let her hear the end of it. You're going to love it, Baron had said. Their singer's last name is my first name, she'd squeal. And he's so sexy. It's the band with the B-girl in their video, right? Susan asked. No, 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 that was Blind Melon. They're garbage. Baron took her music seriously. The band's latest album was on the CD player when the car careened off the side of the highway. Baron had been singing along loudly when the trailer merged into their lane and pushed them onto the rocky shoulder. It literally went downhill from there. When Susan came to, she pushed the deflated airbag aside and looked at her feet, taking stock, rubbing her hands over her legs, arms and ribs, making sure she was still in one piece. She'd been sore for a while, and likely have a hell of a headache, but otherwise no damage done. Where'd you learn how to drive? Susan croaked. Baron didn't respond, didn't move. Her eyes stared forward, and the side of her head bulged freakishly. A thin trickle of blood ran from her nostrils. Her mouth hung open in a final, silent shout. Oh, Baron, no, Susan said shakily. No, no, you can't. Susan reached out a trembling hand and touched Baron's arm. She hissed and pulled away, tucking her arm close to her chest. Baron's skin had an unfamiliar texture. Cool. Lifeless. Oh, no. No, no, I don't fucking accept this, Susan screamed. Wake up, damn you. Wake up, please, she cried. We're going to be late for the concert. Blood dripped from Baron's nose and spotted her white concert t-shirt as Susan hugged herself and wailed piercingly. She hadn't even known Baron before college, but in the short time they'd shared a room, they'd gotten close. This went against everything right in the world, everything natural. Move, goddamn you, Susan shouted. Stop playing around. I know you're okay. You have to be. Baron didn't move, and she was certainly not okay. There was nothing Susan could do to change that. Susan grabbed her friend's shoulder and shook lightly. Baron's head tilted and thumped against the broken driver's side window, resting in the crater her skull had created during the collision. Susan screamed again and looked away from her misshapen skull, resisting the urge to vomit. Ma'am? A voice shouted. Ma'am, can you hear me? She turned and peered at the man on the other side of the door. An EMT gazed through the glass as pulsing red and blue lights bombarded Susan's blurred vision, making everything appear kaleidoscopic. Her trip to the hospital was lost in a daze, 
the treatment of cuts and abrasions forgotten. The concerned faces of family and friends watching over her were nothing more than disconnected memories. It was only when Ted arrived that she allowed herself to feel again. She held him tightly, cried on his shoulder, asked him questions he could never answer. She needed him, needed to feel his warmth and his comforting hands on her fevered skin. She'd never needed anything so much in her entire life. Ted never left her side. Susan struggled with classes the following semester, unable to clear her mind of the accident and of Baron's eyes staring lifelessly into the world beyond. It haunted her nights and caused her days to run together into an endless swamp of exhaustion. She couldn't step foot into a vehicle for three months after the accident without trembling uncontrollably and hiding her eyes in the crook of her arm. Her driver's license expired in 2002, and she never had it renewed. Her days of driving were over. Call it fear, call it PTSD, call it superstitious nonsense. Whatever it was, it was final. And fuck the spin doctors for being the soundtrack to her nightmare. She never liked them anyway. Thank God for Ted, his selflessness, his calming voice, his devotion to bringing her back from the precipice of mind-numbing depression. When Ted proposed to her in May of 2000, she jumped into his arms before he could rise from bended knee. Yes, she'd marry him, love him, cherish him, until death did part them. She couldn't risk losing someone else she loved. In 17 years, she never regretted her decision. Her love ran deeper than the cold waters flowing through the aquifer. It was indestructible. Ted lifted his head and groggily looked through the broken windshield. The barracuda was little more than twisted scrap, a junkyard discovery. One headlight stared drunkenly into the darkened forest, illuminating a small patch of wet sticker bushes. Beyond that, the forest was pitch black. He jumped and turned to Susan as fingers of pain reached from his neck and ran down his spine. He fought back a cry and reached a bloody hand out to his wife rubbing her cheek lightly with his fingertips. Susan? Susan, are you okay? Her eyes fluttered open and her mouth twisted in a rictus of pain. She hissed through swollen lips and looked over at a very relieved Ted. Are you hurt? Ted asked. I don't think so, she mumbled. But I can't move my legs. They're trapped. She tried pulling them free, but they were pinned between the dash and the crumpled firewall. Ted nodded his understanding. He was in the same predicament. Adding to his confinement, the steering wheel had been pushed back, leaving only inches between it and his chest. The radio spit a grating wall of noise. The engine pinged and hissed as it cooled, sending billowing clouds of steam into the air above the wreck. Fat raindrops pattered the roof with hollow metallic thumps. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, Susan. I should have listened to you and slowed down. There's no point being sorry now. What's done is done. Todd grunted and tried freeing his pinned legs. There was some give, but not nearly enough. He banged the steering wheel with his palms and cursed under his breath. Stay calm, dear. Panicking isn't going to get us anywhere, says the woman who's afraid to drive. Susan shrugged and offered a thin smile. The lone remaining headlight flickered, 
and went out with a pop, plunging them into near-complete darkness. Ted groaned and put his head in his hands. God damn it, he uttered. Shit. Fuck. You've always been a man of such profound thought, Susan snickered. Are you seriously making jokes right now? You realize we're forty feet below the road? I know that, she said. But someone will see the broken guardrail and know we're here. That's optimistic. Would you like me to scream and carry on? Under the circumstances, I'd say I'm doing pretty fucking great. You are, he muttered. Save your breath. No one will hear you anyway. My head is throbbing, Susan moaned. She reached up and rubbed her forehead. Her fingers came away covered in a thin coating of blood. I think I might have cracked my head. Ah, oh, Susie, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. I'm not blaming you, Susan said. I'm blaming myself. I should have pulled over. I thought we could get to the lodge before dark, but I was wrong. They sat in silence, listening to the rain-soothing drone. Ted wanted to close his eyes and let the sound take him away into merciful sleep, but his common sense rejected the idea. If he had a concussion or head injury, closing his eyes could mean they'd never open again. He cleared his throat and opened his eyes wide to stave off the sudden exhaustion. The cuda is wrecked, he sculped. I know, baby. I'm sorry, but we can always get another car. Not this one, he said. This one is special. Susan nodded. Ted had worked at restoring the Barracuda nearly as long as he and Susan had been married, buying parts when he could afford them, spending most of his free time in the garage, working on his days off, covered in grease and sweat, knuckles bruised and bleeding. It had been a bone of contention between them for some time. Ted had been looking for a classic car to restore ever since high school. The problem was always money. Either he found well-kept or restored models whose owners had unrealistic ideas of worth, or they were in such terrible disrepair they'd have to be rebuilt from the frame up. The Barracuda was somewhere in between. The black interior had been untouched, and apart from torn rear seats and a busted speedometer, wouldn't require much labor. For a vehicle that had rolled off the assembly line in 1970, Ted thought this was a great selling point. The exterior was another matter. Rust on top of rust, missing taillights, dual exhaust that looked like it had been used for target practice. The front bumper and grill were missing entirely. The rear window had a nest of spider-webbed cracks. Dents and dings and gouges peppered every inch of the body. The hefty 383 with four-barrel carb hadn't turned over in a decade. Tell me you didn't pay a lot for this heap. Susan moaned as she entered the garage. What do you consider a lot? Ted asked, grinning. I'm thinking a pack of cigarettes and a case of Miller should have covered it. She kicked the flat rear tire and a shower of rust rained from the wheel well and onto the concrete floor. My lord, she sighed. The first strong breeze in this thing is going to blow away in the wind. Not at all, Ted exclaimed. This is fine Detroit rolling steel. It doesn't look like it's going to be rolling anywhere, Susan said, unless it's on the back of a flatbed. Ted waved her off and circled the car with a gleam in his eye. He ran his hands over the faded and pitted paint, once called Jamaican blue metallic. 
No one likes a smartass, Susie. No one likes an impulse buyer either, she retorted. Except maybe the guy who took your money and laughed all the way to the bank. What do you know about cars anyway? You won't even get your license. That's not fair, she muttered. She was right. It wasn't fair. After what had happened to her, Ted was surprised she'd even step foot in a car again. He walked around the Plymouth's hood and hugged her tightly, rubbing her back. I'm sorry. You're right. That wasn't fair. I'm just so excited, he said. I've wanted a classic for as long as I can remember. I know. I'm sorry, too. My father used to have a 64 Impala, cherry red with white interior. I loved that car when I was a kid and always assumed one day it would be mine. I came home from school one day and it was gone, and in its place was a brand new Buick Skyhawk. A fucking Skyhawk. From that moment, I knew I wanted some old muscle, not a four-cylinder box. Does it make you happy? Susan asked. She pushed him away at arm's length and looked him in the eyes. Well, yeah, Ted said. It'll make me happier when it's finished. This isn't going to be another of your projects that sits and collects dust, is it? Like the shells you've been meaning to hang in the back bedroom for two years? No, no, this is different. This will be something we'll be proud of. We can take it up to Pine Lakes every year, show it off to the old couples. Susan laughed and looked at the car again. There were some pretty lines buried beneath the rust and dented metal. By the time you finish it, we'll be the old couple. That's okay, isn't it? At least we can grow old gracefully, and we'll have a sick ride. Ted leaned in and kissed Susan on the lips, lingering only briefly before going back to poke and prod at his purchase. Ted didn't finish the restoration until ten years later, almost to the day. The Barracuda could have been a show car. The original blue paint had been matched as closely as possible. The chrome gleamed. The 383 growled like an angry lion. Ted drove them around town, windows open, smiling as people watched them pass, waving, gawking at the beauty he'd resurrected from the grave. Ted had gotten the sick ride he always wanted. You never told me how much you paid for this thing, Susan said. What? What does it matter now? It's a total write-off, Ted replied. He shifted uncomfortably in his seat, pulling at his legs again, hoping he could free up enough wiggle room to slip his feet from beneath the crumpled dash. His left foot moved a few inches before he gave up his struggle. He needed to preserve his energy. Are you okay? Susan asked. Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to free my legs. Can't you? Susan tried again to no avail. She was trapped. It's getting cold, she said, shivering. Lucky it's not December or we'd be nothing but icicles when they find us. Ted turned as much as he could and looked into the back seat. A black travel bag had slid onto the floor behind Susan's seat. Stretching, he grabbed the handle with his fingers and pulled it closer, unzipping the bag and pulling out Susan's hooded sweatshirt. He unfolded it and tucked it around her upper body. She smiled appreciatively. Thank you, babe, she said. Ted grunted irritably. Not at Susan, not at the cold, but at the circumstances. He'd been driving since he was 16 years old. He should have never lost control of the Cuda. It was an amateur mistake. We have to figure out how we're getting out of here, Ted said. Our injuries aren't life-threatening, but people have died like this before. 
Do you remember, a few years back, they found that car off the road in the Poconos? Do you think this is the best conversation to be having right now? Susan asked. We have to know what we're up against here. We don't have food or water, Ted said sternly. Do you want to die of thirst forty feet from the road? Susan grumbled and turned away. I'll listen to suggestions, she said. At least one of us has to get out, he said. Go for help. Brilliant, Susan shouted. Did you think of that off the top of your head? It just came to you? You know what, Sue? You don't have to be a jerk about it. Ted called her Susan most of the time, and Susie when he was feeling playful or excited. Calling her Sue meant he was pissed off. He had an even more elaborate vocabulary when he was really pissed off. Ted shifted in his seat and dug a hand into his pocket, feeling for his cell phone. It hadn't even crossed his mind. Ted wasn't what one would call a tech head. He didn't have a cell phone until he was 30 years old, and only because Susan had bought him one and made him carry it. He didn't like being connected. His father had been the same way when Ted was a child. They didn't have a microwave until the mid-90s. The same applied to their telephone, which still had a rotary dial only ten years earlier. His father thought answering machines were the most ridiculous invention ever. If people have something important to say, he'd grumble, they can just call back. Son of a bitch, Ted spat. The screen on his Samsung was shattered. The phone wouldn't even turn on. A lot of good a cell phone does when it breaks so damn easily. We were in a car accident. Susan spoke slowly as if to a child. I told you a dozen times not to keep your phone in your damn pocket. I'm surprised it wasn't broken before now. Fine. You were right, okay? Can you please stop picking at me and help figure this out? Susan nodded. Ted was right. Arguing over petty bullshit wasn't going to accomplish anything. She reached out and put her hand on Ted's arm. He was trembling. He patted her hand apologized and kissed her on the cheek. Can you reach into my bag again? she asked. My phone is in there. It might have survived the crash. Ted turned and rifled through the travel bag, pulling out a few packets of unsalted peanuts and a digital camera before touching the cool plastic of her cell phone. He gave it a cursory glance to make sure it was undamaged and handed it to her. She turned the phone on and waited. It chimed musically as the screen came to life. The phone didn't have great service, but more than enough to connect a call. Susan dialed 911 and waited. It rang three times, four times, five, but no one answered. What the hell is wrong with this thing? She shouted. What's wrong? Ted asked. It's not connecting. It rings, but no one answers. Call someone else, Ted said. Call your parents. Call my parents. Call Walmart. Just get us the hell out of here. I'll call Beth, she said. Beth was one of her best friends, and likely the closest to the accident scene. She tapped Beth's number and put the phone to her ear, listening as someone picked up on the other end. Hello? Beth? Susan shouted. Oh, I'm so glad to hear your voice. Ted and I were in an accident. I need you to call the police. I can't get through to emergency services. Hello? Beth repeated. Is anyone there? Beth? Yes, I'm here. Didn't you hear me? Call the police. Tell them we're in the woods off the old Branson Road, about 15 miles south of the Pine Lakes Resort. Did you get that? Pine Lakes. 
Joe, if this is you screwing around, so help me God. Joe was Beth's most recent ex-boyfriend, one very fond of kinky sex and using his hands to make a point. He'd been calling her dozens of times a day for the last two weeks, sometimes pleading, sometimes screaming and threatening. Beth was just about ready to change her number. It's Susan, not Joe, she shouted. Aren't you hearing what I'm saying? I can hear you breathing, you sick bastard, Beth cried. Don't call me again, I mean it. The line went dead. Beth? Beth? God damn it, she hung up. Try again. Susan redialed the number and listened to it ring. A computerized message let Susan know Beth's inbox was full. Shit. Give it to me, Ted said, reaching toward her. Susan put the phone in his hand and sighed loudly. Do you think I don't know how to use a phone? I didn't say that, he replied. Maybe it's muted or something. Ted pressed a few buttons, checked the phone settings, looked at the signal strength, and dialed his parents' number. No one picked up, and there was no machine to leave a message. He cursed under his breath and dialed again, this time to his friend Harold. He was forty years old, a lifelong pothead, and a diehard video gamer. He only left his couch to get beer or answer the door for the pizza delivery man. He hadn't worked in a decade, ever since he tore his shoulder to hell in a job-related injury. Harold wasn't faking. His shoulder was still a mess, which gave him an excuse whenever anyone asked him about his affection for Sticky Bud. Harold's voicemail picked up on the third ring. Harry, it's Ted. Listen carefully. We wrecked the Cuda on Old Branson Road, about twenty minutes south of the Pine Lakes Resort. We're off the road and we're trapped in the car. We can't get through to 911, so we need you to let someone know we're here. We're not hurt, but we can't get out. Call me the second you get this. Better yet, call 911 first, then call me back. Ted disconnected the call and looked at the screen. The signal was good, and the battery was almost fully charged. He was confident it wouldn't take long to hear from Harold. If he and Susan could get the hell out of here before morning, they could put this entire unfortunate affair behind them. The sooner, the better. Harry will come through, Ted said. He's probably just taking a shit or something. Lovely, Susan said, grimacing. The phone chirped in Ted's hand, signaling an incoming message. It didn't even ring, Ted muttered. It's never done that before. Maybe it was damaged in the crash. Ted put the phone on speaker and tapped the button to check the voicemail. A few seconds later, Harold's friendly, stoned drawl filled the car. Hey, man, Harold's voice spoke. I don't know if something's wrong with your phone, bro, but I think I just got a weird message from your old lady. Harold's voice was silent, almost like he was waiting for a response before realizing he was talking to an answering machine. It was her number, but the message was garbled and full of static. Another pause. Anyway, call me back when you get this. I'll be playing the new Resident Evil game. Dude, sick. Harold laughed, and the message ended abruptly. Susan shook her head and rolled her eyes. She wasn't one of Harold's biggest fans. Harold can barely tie his own shoes, she said. Why the hell would he be your first choice? He never leaves the house, and I know I can always count on him in a tight spot. Ted mumbled something nasty under his breath and dialed the number again. On the second ring, 
Harold answered. Dude, is that you? What's up with the... The line went dead. Ted pulled the phone away from his face and looked at it with a frown. The screen had gone dark. What the fuck? He shouted. Piece of Japanese shit. Calm down, Susan said. Give it to me. Ted handed it over and crossed his arms, agitated and acting like a petulant child. Susan nearly laughed, but figured if she did, it would only upset him more. She touched the phone screen, pressed the button to turn it on or off, even removed the battery and tried restarting the device. Nothing. It was completely dead. That's just great, Ted said. Now what are we going to do? That's when the lights appeared. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.